0: welcome to the all in your head podcast where we get all in your head we are a mental health podcast focused on anything and everything mental health we'll have special guests ranging from mental health experts mental health advocates and just everyday people with real struggles we will share laughs we will share cries but most importantly we will have real conversations about mental health so with that being said let's get all in your head woo It's funny because we're going to be talking about parenting and I've been doing a lot of that this morning. I have Mm. a 13 year old who's headed off to a dance competition. So the joys of makeup and getting everything ready and they usually spend the whole weekend. So packing and all of that. And my school district decides to have random days off of school. And so they don't have school today. So my six-year-old is upstairs in my room watching tv until this is over and then I'm trying to convince my 12-year-old to do her laundry today so that's yeah that's about my I get morning. It.
1: we're in that but a little younger five and seven and I have step kids so that we're just like I'm a pretty primary role for their life but it just some of these mornings are just wild so yeah. we did it it ended with tag in the front yard and now I'm here but like literally that was two minutes ago <laughs> <laughs>
0: But well, we can take we can take a deep breath. That's good. I think it's good for our listeners to hear that we go through the struggles too, and and we're okay. we're right we're right in there uh, with them. We're in the mix, and so uh, what that does is it creates empathy. I think, and uh, I was saying in a previous podcast that I did a lot of parenting skills training before I had kids, and I think I was pretty effective, but. One missing piece was that empathy piece because I was definitely very judgmental. (laughs) And uh, I was telling people that I was that judgmental person at the restaurant, uh, judging parents for Mm -hmm. putting their kids in front of tablets and screens and all of that. And, you know, why can't you control your kids? But I get it. I get it now.
1: I was at Ikea and I saw a woman like freaking on her kid. And I was like, I totally get it. You're at Ikea with your child.
0: That's right. this episode is part of our performance series and this is actually a series within the series I'm not going to rehash the whole spire performance because I've done that in previous episodes but we're really at the section where we're talking about relationships and I define them as developing and maintaining satisfying and fulfilling connections and as it relates to as it relates to parenting developing those relationships come in different forms but for some people it's having sex and then you have kids and you don't get really get an instruction manual as to how to navigate having kids. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Sophie, if you could just introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do.
1: Cool. My name is Sophie Showerman. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and have a private practice in Denver where I specialize in working with highly sensitive kids. That's really been my jam over the last few years, more and more, I started out more in schools, um, in the community mental health system and was really focused on trauma. But just as my work evolved, I seem to attract the same type of child, like really the sensitive, empathetic child. And um, I feel really fortunate that a lot of the parents who come to my practice are also really willing to look inside and do their work and see how some of their blind spots are getting extra stuck from their very tuned in child. and so I just feel, yeah, really excited about my work as a play therapist with these kids and a parent coach with their parents to help support the whole family to grow and evolve together.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're doing some really good work. As it relates to these families and your work, what general models do you use?
1: I was originally trained in synergetic play therapy in Boulder by with Lisa Dion. That's like, so grateful for that training. It's all about the nervous system, and the relationship in the play therapy space.
0: Ooh. Look, being in the behavioral health space, I know how frustrating it can be to not know the current status of your insurance reimbursements or even how much you will get reimbursed. Illuminate Billing Advocates is championing better behavioral health billing through their tools like their dashboard that provide full transparency into your claim cycle. Check out more at illuminatebilling.com.
1: I think EMDR being added into my training... Not that I use it so much. It just really helped me understand stuck belief patterns with kids because of this energetic play therapy training. I'll use bilateral movement while I'm while they're playing. So we can process a little bit in that way. And I'm sort of aware of what stuck patterns or beliefs are there that we can shift into more positive ones, but not necessarily EMDR by the protocol in that way. And then I think just the field of conscious parenting in general, there's been a few different players there that really help us see that we can grow and evolve as we're parenting it's not like you either on the path of healing and growth and spiritual awakening per se or you're just giving yourself to the parenting um, experience like they can kind of be happening at the same time and I think they have to be otherwise you're just not awake to what's happening
0: yeah and let's just break these down just a little bit for our listeners so they have just a a simple idea of what they are. You mentioned play therapy and EMDR and conscious parenting. And so play therapy, I think play therapy gets a bad rap sometimes because I think that uh, sometimes people think that you're just playing with kids and they don't really know what happens in those meetings. And so can you tell us a little bit about play therapy and what the goals are?
1: Yeah, well, I'll start by sharing when I was in grad school at my, I was put at a practicum site where I was the only uh, mental health provider on the days that I was there and I had no idea how to work with children. So I literally Googled like, how do you help children? (laughs) Like, how do you do this? Even though I'd had clinical experience and I've been working with kids forever. And I found all of this research on how really the best way to support a child in processing what needs to be processed is through play, mm-hmm. because that's really kids first language. Like you if think if any parents listening like you you see your child play as they're learning. It's like peekaboo is do I exist or mm-hmm. putting a blanket over an object is, oh, my gosh, does that object still exist when it's covered? And so why is it any different when we're processing hard stuff? And not only is it like just as good as talking things out, but it's actually more effective because it's helping kids get to the subconscious layers of the brain where things are more stuck. You know, I I found when I was using models of more a behavioral approach where I could have kids talk about things and make their feel, make their parents feel better because I could, their parents knew they were talking and processing in that way, but they were more just saying what they thought me and their parents wanted to hear. Yeah. Um, And through play, it's just incredible how a parent will come in and say, my child's dealing with the aftermath of a medical issue or whatever it is, like having a little sister and for the first time and within the first or second session, they're moving towards that kind of content in the play unprompted.
0: Yeah. And that's great that you have that combination of play therapy and EMDR so you can, incorporate some of that as well and do some of that trauma work. And then you also mentioned conscious parenting. How would you describe that to the listeners?
1: I think conscious parenting is is being awake to the growth that's available in parenting and that, that we have a role in that too, that children really reflect parts of us that could be looked at. Um, and it's really just bringing mindfulness and awareness into parenting instead of just going through the motions and potentially just using the imprinting that we had from our childhood without any questions and just offering that again, Mm -hmm. kind of keeping the generations the same, which there's no problem with that. Like, it's not worse to not conscious parent. I think it's just a values choice, like Mm -hmm. for parents that are wanting to engage in parenting consciously. um, It's an amazing journey.
0: Yeah, I really like that. And Sometimes I do some unconscious parenting. <laughs> I have my kids uh, all weekends, So there might be a little bit of that going on this weekend, but.
1: Totally. Well, I just want to like, I, I do a lot of parenting work. Like that's required now for any families that come to my practice is that they also take in content and go through a parent coaching program because I believe it's so important. Um, and pretty much the key oh, takeaway is that it's not about ooh, getting ooh. it right. It's just about offering the repair. I think it was my teacher, Lisa Dion had said relationship is entirely rupture and repair.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and yeah, we just, I was telling you right before we had a, I was eating breakfast with my stepkids and husband. We have just in our blended family, it gets super messy and we, I'm Jewish and I brought in the ritual of Shabbat to our family on Friday nights as like, as we ease into our weeks together and. Now the kids like doing it on Friday mornings, even though my Jewish mother would not agree with that (laughs) That on Friday night. So we do Shabbat like super messy in the morning and we do our roses and thorns. And I was seeing clients last night, but both kids thorns were when when daddy screamed like a little girl last night, <laughs> daddy screamed and he sounded like a little girl and he's literally a therapist too. Yeah, He's sitting there like in, like so mad at himself. And I'm like, this is the best part of my week. Just enjoy it. Like it was their rose and their thorn <laughs> like a little girl because it was scary, but it was also funny. And so we really work on like bringing humor into the repair. And like, what matters is that we come back together. Mm-hmm. I think my husband's still working on the repair with himself in those moments but it was pretty funny
0: it reminds me of a time that I my kids were doing a bunch of things they weren't listening and I was just getting more and more frustrated and I, I don't know why but I just like screamed mm-hmm. and got it all out and I was staring at my kids when I did it and they paused for a second because that was the first time that I'd ever done that and they didn't know really how to respond and then they just start laughing <laughs>
1: that's pretty much exactly what happened I was like what was he saying they were like he wasn't saying anything it was just, it was just a scream and it was like obviously like he just yeah was having an overwhelming time with a five and a seven year old and, mm-hmm. and we get to do that so I feel like conscious parenting isn't not screaming and like doing it perfectly it's like being available to come back down because our kids need to know how to do that. Like they get angry and they scream. And how do they come back to center? If we're just doing it perfectly, there's no model of how to regulate.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move into trends a little bit. You know, you are out there, you're doing the work, you're working with families. So you're seeing a lot of things that are are going on these days. And what are you seeing as far as some of the trends?
1: A lot of anxiety, like a mm. lot of anxiety. And I had a parent coaching call this week with a bunch of families enrolled in my parenting course. And it I think it ended up being like eight parents on the call and they, they were all parents of seven-year-old boys with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I see all types of kids. I was like, this is so interesting. Um, Like 7 year old super sensitive kids with anxious attachment to their parents and like kind of swinging between mad at the world. And then also, and then also, mad at themselves. Like mm-hmm. I did something wrong. It's all my fault. And I don't know why we were talking about perhaps why maybe like those kids were a certain age during the COVID pandemic, but I, whether seven-year-old boy or not, I just see a lot of anxious attachment, like maybe too, that these kids did have a time where they were just at home with their parents for a while and not with their peers. Mm-hmm. And then I do work specifically with sensitive kids that make up about 15 to 20% of the population. There's like decades of research on this sensitive personality trait. So I can't speak for trends of all children because yeah. parents coming to me have already identified that their child is this. But within that bucket of sensitive kids, I see a lot of that big anxiety, probably more than the, the, the depression.
0: Yeah you know, you keep mentioning sensitive kids and parents who've identified their kids as sensitive. Is that a formal process? Is that an informal process? How do you, how would you identify your kid as a sensitive kid?
1: Um, Dr. Elaine Aaron, she did like decades of research on this type of child. It's really cool. Actually, it was first like the introverted shy child, but then she realized that sometimes sensitive people are pretty outgoing, but basically there's a lot of, Brain research, like sensitive people will take in feelings or content into their brain, hold on to it for longer, and the brain will literally be more lit up. So, like pictures of birthday cakes and puppies or snakes and car crashes, like you can literally see scans of their brain seeing that, whether positive or negative, and then the non sensitive person. And so, it's not a disorder. It's just like if you have this type of brain, then another piece is the thalamus, like the gatekeeper of information. Mm will allow in more information at any given moment. Um, I could go on and on about the brain research. I have I have a bunch yeah. of free content on my website if anyone's interested, or you can just email me and I'll send you specific articles. But um, it's just, it was really empowering for me to find that out because it's, I think the traits of a sensitive person, which I also am, can often be seen by society as negatives. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of this research is that it's actually like a superpower, mm-hmm. Elaine Aaron says to have an exceptional child you have to have an exceptional child like your child will be an exception because their brains are super lit up by everything and they t- they will take longer to come back down but um but there's also really cool stuff that happens with this type of brain and just to name one more example from research one study she talks about is people looking at a computer screen with a whole bunch of the letter l's and t's all shaped in different directions like like in different order and the people were asked to pick out the L's and the, the T's like to decipher between them. And the sensitive people were way more efficient and successful at the task, but they became way more stressed. Like there was literally more cortisol pumping. Yeah. So the takeaway is your sensitive child is a lot of them are very gifted and like really quick, but they also carry a lot of stress. So there just needs to be that extra stress management.
0: Yeah, you you got me very intrigued. This is the fourth parenting episode. And the first time that we're talking about this group of sensitive children, I think this can be really valuable to the listeners.
1: I like was seeing all of these types of kids and all of the parents wanted just like diagnoses. And Mm -hmm. I made the decision to not diagnose in my practice. And I probably shouldn't say this, but unless they needed it for insurance billing and I was like for your insurance, not for your child. And because I just really didn't agree with the labels that were getting slapped on these kids and When I found this label, like in quotes, for parents to be able to identify with something, it was really supportive for a lot of the families that I work with.
0: Yeah. And just out of curiosity, these kids, do they typically fall in a diagnostic bucket?
1: They could fit in any of them. That's, I was always Mm -hmm. so confused. I was like, which one am I supposed to give you? Sometimes you're anxious. Sometimes you're depressed. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you're defiant. Like, I thought, let's just call it adjustment disorder because that, feels better. Like I felt like I wasn't in integrity. Like I had to really sit back and think about what could be true. And so it was just huge for me to find Elaine Aaron's research and, and realize that the group of clients that find me were so connected with, with that trait. And I, I created a quiz it's on my site. Um, We can probably link to it or something, mm-hmm. but it's like 22 questions around what you might see in your sensitive child. And that's been really supportive for people to be able to decipher is this, this, or might it be something else? And, and the last thing I'll say on that is there are like some distinct differences between things like the highly sensitive child and sensory processing disorder. Like I mentioned with the highly sensitive child, it's like a lot of information is coming in at once and it's just a lot to sift through, but it's, it's like, there can be a lot of depth of that processing. Whereas for sensory processing disorder, the senses are getting a bit mixed up with each other. So I do think it's an, it's like I'm seeing this, but it's I think I'm smelling it. That's kind of what's happening there. And so I do think it's important to rule out if something All else is happening. Head. But oop, for those oop. who fit this bucket, I think it can be really supportive.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes because I think that is valuable. And I think we probably have some listeners that are picturing their kids and their, how they're typically acting and responding and they have this big question mark if they fall into that sensitive child i don't want to call it a label what would you call
1: it it's a personality trait. personality like, yeah, yeah yeah but if some people really want the label it can be a label i think i just it's kind of um malleable in that way
0: sure yeah. and we're going to move into to pitfalls and you know this is not coming from a place of shame because we're parents too and I joke that when we talk about pitfalls, I probably fall into many of these. And so this is not a, a shaming time, but I think it's important to identify maybe some common areas that parents are struggling in these days. So what are you seeing as some of the pitfalls?
1: Well, so much phone use, like mm-hmm. every child comes into my office and gets the play phones and like is on them for the whole time, like trying to communicate to me, this is what it's like to be me. Like my parents just on their phone, like mm-hmm. there's just a lot of screen time that I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. We have to work with it. I've actually thought about how for the sensitive child, sometimes they really need some screen time to unwind and zone out because there's so much energy in our society right now, but and that that they're perceiving and picking up on. But I just feel like it's a lot of parents are overwhelmed and it's really easy to be dissociated. And then they're missing the moments to help their kiddos co-regulate when they need it most, which is really zero to seven. And then they're mad that their child doesn't know how to regulate.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think another pitfall related is the belief that our child is old enough to just regulate on their own, like they should just get calm and grounded. But the science really says that the way for kids to learn how to regulate their nervous system is to do it in tandem with the safe caregiver.
0: I even think about adults, adults co regulate all the time. I think a a classic example is I used to work in schools and And teachers would get dysregulated in class. And then in between classes, teachers would congregate and they would talk about whatever is stressing them out and they'd borrow each other's regulation. And that would help them then to be able to go back into the class, regulate and and prepared. And so even as adults, we co-regulate.
1: Totally. It it made me so happy last night. I'm, I'm working with a family and something I didn't mention is I also have a system where I only work with people for 12 sessions, with kids for 12 sessions, because I never thought I would be like this. Like when I took the solution, the brief solution Mm -hmm. focused class in grad school, I was like, this doesn't work. We need depth. But Mm -hmm. I really feel like for kids, they don't need to be in therapy forever. Like it actually ends up with this like ongoing thing with no end. And so from at least for the clients that I work with, it works really well to have parents taking in their content and then me, or I have a couple therapists that are a part of my team now seeing the kids for the 12 weeks, and then it ends. But one of the parents who they're almost at the end of the process last night, she said, I just realized like, all she wants is connection. And it's not that hard
0: mm. Something
1: about her daughter, like it really takes 30 seconds, like in those moments when I'm feeling like I have to panic or lay the law down, I just have to offer a little bit of connection.
0: Yeah, I like that you try to do everything within 12 sessions. And I think it creates somewhat of a sense of urgency as well. You know, we've got, we got to get to work, right? Like we don't have, we don't have all the time in the world and, you know, and there's an investment, there's a time investment, there's a financial investment. And I used to get really frustrated because I would work in, I used to work in community mental health when I first started my career and services were free for as long as you want them. And my frustration as a therapist and a therapist in is that no one was in a hurry to change. Mm-hmm. Because it was just something that was free, and they could be they could literally be in it as long as they wanted to. And I think when we are doing therapeutic work, I think there needs to be a little bit of a sense of urgency to to put things into action and to start to see things work.
1: It's worked really well for my clients. It's like well, let's learn, let's do this now, and then you can be the primary attachment figure for regulating with your child, not me. Um, so I I really, that's felt really good for me and for the families I work with, I think, but yeah, I just in, in like as equally important as connection, I think is getting really good at loving boundaries. Like a lot of the, in speaking of trends, like I feel like a lot of the parents willing to do the work, willing to consciously parent, they've gone really warm. Like if you have you need to have the warmth and the control. So I don't get a lot of parents like military style parents mm. in my office, because they're not really wanting to pay for therapy. But the parents I, who are very heart based and like wanting to support their child, sometimes they've lost control of any boundaries. And it's actually really dysregulating for kids not to know what the line in the boundary is. So I work with parents a lot on that, too.
0: Yeah, well, let's get into interventions, because that's the fun part. And the listeners are able to take away some tools. And so As it relates to parenting and even specifically sensitive children, because that's your specialty, what are some things that people can do that make a big difference?
1: Yeah. When I'm sharing just in like a quick, quick few minutes, interventions, Mm -hmm. I like to split it up into five principles that I've created. And these were based off, actually, I'm a little bit type A. So when I was creating (laughs) my course, I interviewed a whole bunch of parents that had gotten a lot out of our work together and I used an app where you can transcribe it. And then I pulled out the common themes that mm. they had taken away to make sure that like I really expanded on those in the course. Um, so I had like five main principles and each one has a tip, like a takeaway that, that you can take away with you today. So the first one is to relax into the present moment and replace any sense of urgency with patience um, because kids' brains really feel like everything's urgent and we have to be that external regulator that has a prefrontal cortex that can like stay present in this moment um, and not be in panic. And the tip for that one is the gaze of adoration. So I noticed that a lot of parents are looking at their kids like terrified or annoyed Mm. and their kid was reflecting back that terrified or annoyed behavior. And so I teach parents to actually soften into remembering that their child's adorable and to like Mm. stop for a second and like look how cute they are and then see how the behavior shifts back. People really like that one.
0: What what response do you get from parents when they try that? What did they actually come back with?
1: Well, some of the times they feel a little bit mad at themselves for how they've been like throwing daggers energetically mm-hmm. at their kids, but they can't believe how the softening that they see in return just by their softening. And it makes sense because of mirror neurons, like the monkey see monkey do neurons. Mm-hmm. Like if the parent is looking terrified or annoyed, the child will just reflect that back. So I usually get just people are excited to have that tool in their pocket and to try to remember to do it.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. What's next?
1: The second one is to trust and honor your child's process as a mirror of your own process. So, like, to allow kids to have their struggle and their challenge, like, you know, for one that's really tough is if kids have been bullied. Parents mm. really can't, like, that's really hard to stomach. And I know what that feels like, but to not fix it for your child and instead trust their process of finding empowerment and finding their center and finding their boundaries while you're also working on finding your center and empowerment and your boundaries so you can model that to them and like really be in the space of growing together instead of needing to fix in a panicked way like today. Um,
0: That sounds really difficult. (laughs) I'm a parent too. And I think when we hear, especially when it's blatant bullying, the temptation is to just, you know, swarm, right? But I also can see the value of still protecting your child and advocating and do all the things that you need to do. But also give them some of that space to start to figure things out for themselves. Because at a certain point in their lives, we're not going to be with them anymore. They're going to be out. They're out in the world and navigating the world. And they need to they need to know how to navigate bullies. I hate to say, but there's adults who are bullies too.
1: Totally, and. Sometimes for sure, parent involvement needs to happen. Like you have to know what that line is. But I found that when parents just fix it for kids, they end up in the same situation at the next school. Like Mm -hmm. it's, if they're showing up in a disempowered state, they will be a target for that bullying. And so to have them like find their empowerment to not attract that anymore.
0: I've also seen situations where parents will want to just Rescue the kid and remove them from that situation. so a new school, a new environment, and like you're saying, you can't continue you can't do that over and over and over again. And there are some really difficult decisions that you have to make, especially if your kid's mental health is really being affected by bullying. like sometimes you do have to make some of those difficult decisions, but our kids will only grow through struggles and so we need to allow them to have some level of struggle within a box, within, you know, within boundaries, right? But we need them to struggle to a certain extent. That's how they build resiliency. That's how they build grit.
1: Totally. The tip for that one is just to zoom out with a bird's eye view on the bigger timeline. Like your child is 10 and hurting with this now, but they will be 32. And this Mm -hmm. will just be a moment. Like, I think we get really stuck on this developmental stage. Yeah. Um,
0: That's really good.
1: So the third is to prioritize connection. I think connection is just a basic human need. Like, I mean, there are literally studies of babies that have food and water and diaper changes, but they don't have loving connection and they don't survive. Like it's such a basic human need. And when we deprive our kids of that in the moments that they need us most, it puts them into extremely dysregulated states. So I teach parents to do that both in the moment of struggle, but also preemptively. So tip for that one which is really a game changer for a lot of families and in my family we've done this since I entered the picture in my blended family three and a half years ago Um, we do one-on-one time every day with both kids Hmm. like 12 minutes of one-on-one time whatever they want in the same place in the evening routine and it's like food for them it's Hmm. like they don't need to get that negative attention because they know that that positive attention is coming every single day honestly though that's really tough for parents. It doesn't seem like it would be so hard, but to actually put your phone down for 12 minutes when all you want to do is cook dinner and get ready for tomorrow and all the things is actually a really big challenge.
0: Yeah. we always tell people the more time ins you'll do the less time outs you'll have to do. And so, and it is, it is really true. And, you know, connections not earned either. Right. I think sometimes we punish our kids with, with the lack of connection time or lack of one-on-one time and lack of relationship and should be something that's not a negotiable. That's something that's not earned.
1: And I'll say like, maybe just a pitfall of even this work, like every child needs something different. Like I have met some kids who respond really well in like some sleep training program, where if you don't stay in your bed, I'm going to leave the room. Like there's all these different programs out there. And like, I trust parents to know what's best for their children i just feel like these principles work really well with super sensitive kids that are mm-hmm. already being hard enough on themselves they don't need it at all from their parents honestly yeah. but yeah the fourth is to embrace loving boundaries and um we talked a little bit about that i i also refer to it as loving containment and i talk about how like if i have this glass of water without the glass it's just a puddle on the floor mm-hmm. uh, like we really have to create boundaries and my favorite research to um, refer to for this is there was a study of kids on a playground and they were on the playground structure but there was no fence and they their behaviors were observed and then the next day overnight a fence had been put up and the behaviors that were observed were that they actually expanded out more they played more they engaged more they were more creative and so like the fence and the boundary created safety that helped them expand
0: that's such a great visual. I've never heard that before, but that's thank you for sharing that.
1: Uh, yeah, there's even a little YouTube video that describes the study, like one of those little drawing things. But that was I love like knowing that is really important, and most of us didn't get great models of them.
0: Yeah, we want our kids to take risks, uh, but they need to feel safe to take risks.
1: Yeah. So the takeaway for that, like I, it's hard to just pick one thing. I have a whole module on it in my course, but it's just to look at how you can be more clear and consistent. Like you don't want your fence to be like half broken and a little bit of barbed wire and a little bit of like, you know, like you want your fence to be clear and that like you, you maintain it. And so like, if your boundaries are all over the place and one second you have them, one second you don't, it's not really that solid of a boundary.
0: Yeah. Or if every day you come back and the fence is in a different location. And that's why that visual is just so helpful for me, even just to kind of, you know, I'm a visual person. So to be able to picture that, I think is, is really helpful for me and hopefully it's helpful for the listeners.
1: Yeah. And then the last and fifth is to show up authentically and with curiosity. So especially sensitive kids, they're like super wise and intuitive. They pick up on any BS. Like if I'm in mm-hmm. my place with them and I'm not being real, like I'm doing what I think I should do as a therapist, they're like, what are you ooh, doing? Ooh. Like, they're like, just be you, you know, they just want kids just want their parents to be themselves, even if they're tired and grumpy, like at least be whole and like don't have fragmented parts of yourself that are making yourself wrong for that. And so it's like, I really encourage parents just to like identify how they're doing and how they're being and just show up that way. And that lack of congruency can be really dysregulating to the nervous system. And so once parents start to get more true with themselves and congruent, which I'm working on so much, like, I think we're all trying to figure out who we are, like, do we really know? But when in those moments where it lands, like connections just a lot easier. And so- My tip for this one is making self-care and self-connection as a parent, non-negotiable. And it doesn't have to be, especially as a parent, it won't be like a 90 minute meditation and walk in the woods every day, but it's just like five minutes of getting in your body and getting here, whatever it is that you do to, to get you there. It feels like it's not really a choice when you want to consciously parent.
0: Yeah. I see that show up a lot when parents are learning new skills because they go from this parent to something drastically different and they feel like they need to be drastically different. but they still need to stay within themselves, right? And still be still be who you are because there's a lot of great things about, you know, even if there's some skills that you can learn and some adjustments that you can make, you've been doing a lot of really great things. So don't lose that. don't lose yourself in that. Don't feel like you have to be this parent that you've seen on on TV or your, your neighbor or whoever it is to be a good parent, still be yourself and just maybe bring in some other skills or adjustments.
1: Totally. Like I feel my husband and I always joke, like half the time he calls me out and he's he's taken the parenting course just to be nice. And he's like, that's not in your course. Like, because I'll like randomly say something. So like, I'll randomly say something threatening or like, and I'm, like, I'm just me. And so I like, I was like in the course, it says you have to be you. And you can't always just use this like scripted parenting option. I think you just have to sometimes be yourself and say what you say and trust that your kids have got you too
0: yeah so sophie you just gave us a piece and so incredibly helpful you have a lot of knowledge and thank you for spending some time with us and and giving us some of that knowledge but i feel like there's so much more so how can people find out more about you maybe some resources that you have and maybe also some services that you offer
1: Totally. It's rootedrhythm.com. So it's R-O-O-T-E-D-R-H-Y-T-H-M. Sometimes it's hard to spell rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the best way to find me. And you can contact me directly. Like I'm so open to having conversations with anyone that might be curious about even identifying whether their child is sensitive or not. And then the services we offer are the TED module course that can be self-paced. Um, kind of You kind of listen along to it like a podcast. It's full of all of the research examples that I gave today, as well as real concepts you can take with you. We also have a weekly parent connection call that goes with that because so many parents in the course were asking if they could meet other parents in the course. So we just added that in and it's been really cool to see those parents connecting. Um, obviously the child therapy program that I mentioned, like the 12 sessions, either with me or Arlie or Natalie on my team, to so just to have your child feel really attuned to and then. I, I feel like we just become the bridge between the child and the parent. Like your child gets to show us their inner world in a safe space. And then we can connect with you and share some ideas of what they might be needing to get more grounded and more themselves and for the whole system to regulate. And I think that's it. I, I work with women too. And I brought in ketamine assisted therapy to, especially to support moms in just, you know, moving through the stuck points, but you'll find it all on my website. And I feel really grateful to be here. I, I suggest listening to the other podcast too, like in preparation for the call, I got to listen to some and like, I, I had some real shifts from the money mindset one and the nutrition Mm one. Oh, good. Real like life shifts that I really needed. So I think it's awesome. These conversations and impactful.
0: Yeah. And it's mental health awareness month, right? So parenting affects our mental health, our mental health then affects our parenting. And so I think it has relevance during this month of mental health month as well so sophie thank you for being on the show we're going to put a lot of these resources in the show notes because i think that you can offer a lot to people and just thank you for taking the time i really appreciate it
1: thanks for having me and doing what you're doing
0: you have just listened to the all in your head podcast learn more by following jamie glick on linkedin or by subscribing to the mental health training camp youtube channel if you are experiencing a mental health crisis You can call now or text 988 to get connected to free confidential support. Thanks for listening.